to lean into some of this resistance and try to see it not as the enemy, but to try to see it as sort of the conduit or the way through some of the challenges that exist around us. It's what I try to do in my life. And ever since I started living my life that way, probably, I don't know, three, four years ago, my scenery definitely started to improve. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear from thought leaders in a wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world, all around us, that almost no one knows about. This podcast will give you hope for the future and introduce you to people who are paving the way for a better world for us all. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles. Since 2014, We've written thousands of articles about insight and innovation going uncelebrated. And along the way, I've been having wonderful conversations with thought leaders that we are now sharing with the world. So today we're going to meet Carl Sona. Carl's the co-founder of Streamline Podcast and so much more. Carl, <laughs> welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Help me with this introduction. The scope yeah. of what you're doing is so huge. Yeah, thank you. So give us a little synopsis and then we'll start in. Yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you for having me back. I know that you and I had a great conversation on the last podcast. I don't know if you had already made the rebrand. So maybe this is my first time technically. And I appreciate you guys for having me on again. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, what can I say about me? I am just a man in search of his, uh, his highest meaning, <laughs> truthfully. That's what I'm trying to do. And I realized a long time ago that I was not ever going to become that man. I was not going to be able ever to reach that man that I see on the horizon that I can become you know, building somebody else's dreams and just doing a corporate job for the paycheck and for, you know, the temporary luxuries that it affords me. And I think, you know, a lot of people are in that boat, but I'll tell you who's especially in that boat are minorities in the workspace that, you know, are constantly having to switch, constantly telling themselves or wondering if they belong, if they fit, if they're just part of like a diversity and inclusion quota, or if they're really, you know, valued employees, if they're really valued family members of the organization that, you know, really have uh, something of meaning to offer the organization to go to where it hopes to go. And, you know, I, I don't want to make it to sound as though I felt like organizations that I worked for in the past in the medical device space, you know, have not valued what I bring to the table. But I can definitely tell you that there is not an individual in the organizations that I've worked with that has looked like me in the leadership sort of role or the, the leadership capacity. And I, I got to tell you, Dr. Linda, that does something to your subconscious because all of a sudden you start to wonder, all right, like, am I, am I destined for leadership? You know, can I ultimately earn a seat at the table one day? And perhaps, but if you look at, you know, Fortune 500 companies that exist in this world, there's like 0.002% of leaders that are actually African-American. And I think that's a huge issue, right? And so, I am on a mission to launch the Dear Black CEO project that inspires and, and more importantly, gives African-Americans, you know, real meaningful frameworks for where they can successfully break the golden handcuffs of a corporate job, pivot away and actually reinvent themselves by making their own seat at the table and building organizations that are really built on, you know, driving social impact and positivity in the world. So that's what I'm up to, if that answers your question in a nutshell. I, oh, I absolutely love it. I mean, I have this, this, <laughs> this notion about diversity that anyone who doesn't embrace it in mm -hmm. every possible way is missing such a boatload of opportunity. Yeah. What we've done here at Everwidening Circles is study and write about the thought leaders and innovators of the world for eight years. Mm -hmm. And there's not, there's not one innovator that would miss an opportunity to welcome somebody's opinion that's so different from theirs or yeah. look for collaborators who aren't like them. I mean, that's how innovation and leaping forward happens. We can't, we can't do anything new without new ideas. And no, new ideas. no. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how, people that seek out homogeneous environments only ever expect to create anything that's going to be disruptive to bring about positive change or impact. 
You know, so if if you're an organization that is just made up of the same type of thinkers or, you know, the same people that come from similar type of background as you do, how do you ever expect to inject any novelty into your organization to stay ahead of the curve? You know, I'm reading a book right now with one of my minority investment groups. So I've got a company called NGC Capital as well. I don't talk about it as much, but it's me and seven other managing members we're all African, you know, African descent. And we started the company back in 2016 to really break, you know, the false glass ceiling that many of us inevitably run into. And so we're reading this book right now to help us with our investment thesis called The Future is Faster Than You Think. And in the book, the author talks a lot about this idea of convergence, you know, meaning new disruptive technologies converging together, kind of like you know, what Uber did to taxis, right? That's ride sharing. And now they're getting ready to converge with artificial intelligence to, you know, make our lives become even more seamless so we don't have to really interact with people anymore, right? But the whole idea is disruption ultimately comes from novelty and from, you know, just a difference of thought. It comes from people that are willing to challenge the status quo. And I don't know how you do that if you're not, you know, inevitably around people that, are different than you, quite frankly. So I agree with what you're saying there. Absolutely. And then even if you're not the kind of courageous business leader or, you know, how can you solve problems with the same, you know, what's that great, that great phrase, you know, we can't solve problems with the same thinking that got us into the trouble in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually never heard it put that way, but you know, I, I look at, I look at problems as opportunities, truthfully. And, and right now, our society has got a lot of problems going on, you know, particularly around racial relations and, and you know, cross-cultural lines. And it's kind of counterintuitive at first sight, but I think if more people were willing to lean in to some of those challenges, you know, we, we, we might find that we have some opportunities to actually grow and, and actually spread our wings, you know, far beyond them. So I, I want to have those conversations. I want to encourage people to have those conversations and I think that's ultimately how we find ourselves in a better situation than what we're currently in. Do you think sometimes, Carl, that, oh, Brittany and I were having, my producer and I were having a conversation yeah. about something in, in her life that involved some friction. And I, in my all my business life, people usually gravitate away from friction as fast as possible. Yeah. And I think that that is probably a really limiting strategy if you're trying to disrupt and, and get anything new going or even just solve problems. I mean, we just can't get to a new place without the rubbing up against of ideas and some friction. So mm-hmm. embracing some of these, these pain points that we're having in society in a, you know, a mature, thoughtful, helpful way could be the way forward, right? Yeah, I think 100%. I mean, friction definitely is not something that's comfortable, for, for human beings. I mean, our, our, our flesh wants to ultimately go the path of least resistance, right? Which is a frictionless environment. But if you think about just like, you know, the way physics work, right? W- w- without that friction, without like the gravitational pull that keeps us rooted, <laughs> we're all just sort of floating out in the universe, right? We're all just like circling like the orbit. And we're really left victim, I think we can become victims, so to speak, right, of the forces that will push us whichever direction they want to push us. And so I think what we need to do a better job of, to your point where you're kind of going, is to lean into some of this resistance and try to see it not as the enemy, but to try to see it as sort of the conduit or the way through some of the challenges that exist around us. It's what I try to do in my life. And ever since I started living my life that way, probably, I don't know, three, four years ago, my scenery definitely started to improve, right? Instead of just finding myself in random situations and leading myself into believe that I was the victim because something else got me in that situation, you know, I started leaning in those difficult and uncomfortable situations, whether it be a difficult situation or a difficult conversation with somebody at work, or whether it be realizing that, you know what, I'm not happy being a corporate employee and I'm going to, you know, travel the path that's not traveled as commonly to find my own way towards that happiness. That's when I started feeling a lot more confident and much more happy about myself. So I think friction is our friend. 
friction's our friend, truthfully. And it may not feel that way in the beginning, but it's all a mindset shift that takes a little bit of time, you know, as, as you explore it further. And it gets easier. It gets yeah. easier to navigate once we understand ourselves better and the, the people that'll be graceful in those journeys with us. I mean, that's part of the equation too. We yeah. have to start dabbling around the edges of things that are a little bit uncomfortable with, with trusted people in our life that we know are going to protect our dignity and all that sort of thing. A hundred percent. I mean, like this conversation we're having right now, I mean, you and I weren't born podcasters. And so inevitably there was some friction in the beginning to try to figure out how to get the right equipment and how to even have these conversations. Like these conversations, I don't really think are status quo. You know, you and I were just chatting off air about how people are trying to dance around the right thing to say, you know, and that's just in the intimacy of their home or in their car, much less a podcast that's going out to a bunch of people all over the world, right, that are conspiring for goodness. So there is friction there, but look at the beauty that's coming out of it now. You see what I'm saying? So I try to think forward and realize that the friction is just a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something else that's coming up lately I'd love to hear your thoughts on is that <laughs> I've been trying to notice when somebody or something rubs me the wrong way, hmm. I've been trying to notice what the intention there was. Because, you know, I can hear people that might say something that's offensive to me, and it may be just out of inexperience or... I hate to use the word ignorance, but, but you know, there, people have different levels of exposure to things in this world, like vast differences. And I've got a pretty good antenna for who is intentionally trying to make me, you know, trying to get on top of, of me and make me feel lower than them. I can tell that. But when someone is just generally, you know, like, for instance, I, I'll give you a quick example. My husband and I are both dentists, Carl. Yeah, I knew how that. How many times? Great how many teeth. times do you think we were okay? And and Chuck is six six. He was a captain at Kentucky <clears throat> University of Kentucky basketball team. He's big, strapping, handsome guy. He has been his whole life. How many times do you think I've been asked? Oh, are you his dental assistant? Oh man, probably more times than you care to admit. <laughs> I, I people just automatically assume that role for you right. as female at this big guy's side. You know? Right. Yeah. All my life. And I, I just have, I learned very, very young to decide to, that it was really on me to decide what to do with those kind of comments, mm-hmm. to make the other one feel awkward and try and push back on their dignity to, and get in some war of yeah. wits, or just to understand that, you know, their exposure may have been very limited. They may have known, never known a female with a DR in front of her name. Who knows? Yes. I don't care. It's really about like we get to choose what get us gets us hot under the collar too. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm an African American man. You know, how many times do you think pulling out of the car that I drive, people are looking at me kind of wonky, right? Or walking into certain rooms or restaurants, people are wondering, hmm, wonder what he does. <laughs> wonder, wonder how he made it here. You know what I mean? Because of what limited experience they have with African-Americans from their own personal experience that are creating some sort of narrative about how we all must be, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a beautiful opportunity, and I'm sure you do because we're like-minded people, to prove them wrong and not in like a, ha ha, look at me, like told you so, but to sort of deconstruct their thought process around what it means to be a female doctor or what it means to be an African-American successful entrepreneur, right? And show them, like disrupt, kind of like what we were talking about in the last segment, just disrupt that chain of thinking that is ignorant or that does come from just a lack of experience around people that are different from them, right? And to show them that we can be more than just whatever roles gender would assign or whatever roles race would assign. Like that's BS. Absolutely. And you know- It's a two-way street, and and I think this is about something that's coming in society, which I want you to comment on. I think we're starting to turn the page on all this shouting and anger and division, and I think the people who are ratcheting up the drama are going to look horribly out of step soon. Hmm. I believe that we're looking for the thoughtful, helpful people. And that doesn't mean, you know, we can still hear hard things. I can hear things I don't agree with, with somebody who's trying to be thoughtful and helpful. I can improve my way of thinking and, and elevate what I, what I'm, what's possible in my mind. But I really love the kind of graceful, 
thought leaders that are starting to emerge without the shouting <laughs> and the meanness. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think Black people have definitely been angry for a very long time in America. And I don't know if white people understand that, you know, oh, yeah. while we all live in America, there are two different Americas. There's, you know, white America and there's Black America. And, you know, that's something that maybe we can talk about. You let me know if you want to go there. But I think to your point, more of us, more African-Americans in this country living the Black experience are starting to realize slowly but surely that it's not really helping our cause to continue to just shout and to continue to just scream and right into and, and, and to be so, I don't want to say reactive, but so uh, victimized by what has happened to people that look like us for the test of time in America. I mean, while it, it makes me completely stick to my stomach and it breaks my heart replaying what we saw happen to George Floyd last year, for instance, like it's not been the first time. And so I think at some point, you know, and we're getting there to your point, I agree. We are now making a more intentional decision to go about this differently, right? And to really think about how we can be a part of a solution and how we can start to come together to really, you know, bring about some longstanding change in this country that it so desperately needs in a way that isn't painting us out in the light of just being angry Black people protesting yet again. You know, because I think that's falling on deaf ears. Obviously it is, right? It continues to happen, right? We continue to see these slings. And I think for us as a people, it's about realizing that we are not victims because victimhood is a very sinister identity, right? It's a very sinister cloak to throw on yourself because you just feel like you're helpless and there's nothing more that you can do to improve your situation. And so what do you do? You just you yell louder, right? You, you lash out more, but that hasn't helped us. So I agree with you. I mean, I've had a lot of private conversations myself. Actually, our mutual friend of, of, of both of ours, uh, Sheldon, I think you know Sheldon. I she do. and I just talked about it the other day for like an hour and a half at nauseum about how it's time for us to organize a meeting, a meeting of the minds where, you know, Black folks that want to be a part of the solution can get together and figure out what problems we want to start, you know, tackling head on. And we're both very optimistic that we can do a lot more, you know, when we actually come together. There, there are strength in numbers. We've all heard that. So it's 100% time to approach this from a different light. Well, I've heard two different podcasts and a PBS series. I watched a PBS series last night, which was absolutely amazing, called Soul! Exclamation point. Have you heard of this, mm -hmm. this series? It's about an African-American guy, and I'm, oh, his name is escaping me now. But he was the uh, the guy that brought African-American arts and music and poetry and just all the richness of the African-American experience and culture up in the 1960s and 70s. And he pointed out that maybe in movements of change, we need both. We need people that are just going to stand up there and point to injustice like, like nobody's business. And we need the graceful measured, thoughtful folks that, because both are acting on the cultural change that needs to happen. And so I, I really, I've also listened to a recent Hidden Brain podcast about the snowball effect, which had some points in it about how movements catch on. And they talked about the George Floyd incident and where, how hashtag Black Lives Matter started out with only 600 uses and then exploded and why that happened. And it was a little bit of both. So I, you know, talk to me about things that you, you sometimes wish if only everyone knew this, we could leap forward. I'm anxious to hear everything you have to say. So, you know, what do you wish people like me, you know, I, I told Carl right before we started that I'm putting myself out here a little bit vulnerable and you know, a lot of people like me don't know the right thing to say. So we don't say anything because we're, mm. you know, we're afraid. Yeah. A lot of silence from people who did not know much about the Black experience was not necessarily from indifference. I think it was from a place of not knowing the right thing to say. So not saying anything at all. I think sometimes it's not even so much of what you say versus what you do, though, right? So, I, I mean... 
I, th- I think for anybody listening to this right now that is white or in the majority, I think something to keep in mind or something to reflect on is, you know, like, what am I doing to try to better understand how I can play a role, even at the local level, mm-hmm. with with improving this situation? I'm in an interracial relationship. And, you know, my girlfriend grew up in a very cultural diverse city in Michigan. So she grew up around Black people, Hispanics, Asians, the whole nine. But I think even for her, she's, you know, had some blinders slowly, you know, drawn down and, and, and she's been educating herself and, you know, looking to have the conversation and opening up forums to, for others to have the conversation. And so you ask me, you know, what do I wish people, people would keep in mind relative to this subject? And I, I would just, I, I wish people would keep in mind that, you know, maybe there's something relative to everything going on right now that they can learn a little bit more about. I think for all of us, black, white, whatever, I I think there is a false temptation at times to believe that we've got it all figured out or, you know, we've been living life just fine going about how we've been going about it. And there's nothing really more to learn, you know, and I think the act of learning is a form of action, right? So I, I just wish more people would be willing to understand and maybe take into consideration that, you know, there is still some education that they could stand to benefit from that would help literally at the local level. You, you were just telling me you grew up in a small town in Vermont with people that look like you. That's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a crime. And, and, and I, you know, I can't speak for all black people, but I don't look at that situation how you grew up and, I, and say, oh, Dr. Linda's a bad person or she's an ignorant person or she's a... I don't think any of that, right? But I think on the flip side, what types of conversations do you guys have at your, at your, at your dinner table, right? And, and I think if the onus was on more folks in the majority to start educating themselves, you know, and, and, and to look at it as how can I just improve my humanity? How can I improve my level of consciousness and not look at it as I'm a racist or something bad because I don't know. It's okay if you don't know. We all go to school for a reason because we don't know things coming out of the womb, right? And we need to evolve. But if if the onus was on more folks in the majority to do that, then I think we could actually start, you know, creating that snowball effect that you just referenced. Because the little side conversations, the little ignorant things that slip out, you know, maybe not out of malice, but they they slip out and and because they're not corrected, probably because you don't know they're perpetuated. I think we'd be able to catch those things sooner, right? Mm-hmm. And and then go out into the world as better versions of ourselves. So I would just encourage more people listening to not think that you've got it all figured out. Mm. That that's it. And and to not have shame. This is the other thing too, because I hear the term white guilt and so on and so forth, right? And and to not have shame about what it is you don't know. And that, that that's gonna be a little uncomfortable too, Doc. You know, no, nobody wants to look foolish. Nobody wants to look like, you know, they're coming into a room ill-prepared or not up to the par level of the others in the room. And so they don't say anything or they just sort of dance around it. But to like try to practice a little bit more vulnerability, which is really strength and courage, despite the fear and the discomfort. We already talked about the friction, right? If the friction is there, it's a good sign. So to lean into it and say, hey, like Carl, actually, I, I... ignorant white question here, whatever, make a joke out of it. Like, help me understand this. You know, like, I, I think a lot of black people would be a little bit more open to that sort of thing. And, and maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I can only speak from my personal experience. If you approached me with that candidness, I would engage you, you know, in an authentic way. And I think we would find that we'd have a very productive conversation and we'd actually be able to talk about what we're talking about. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> candidly ignorant white person here. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know that is true. It's so true, though, that we, you know, if we have a social contract that comes out of this, where we can protect, where we work to protect each other's dignity on all sides, like this is what really bugs me about the craziness on social media, is that everybody's forgotten to protect each other's dignity. Oh, this, yeah. If this is the, the fundamental thing. Like I remember as a child noticing and, and really <laughs> going to bat for the underdog always when some <laughs> bully would, you know, offend somebody's dignity. It's, it's always offended me at, at my core. Uh-huh. And what if 
it became a, so, a new social contract that you could talk to your blue in the face about your opinion and your experiences and so forth, as long as you protected other people's dignity along the way. You know where that's happening? You know that's happening? It, it's yeah. happening in like the same sex community and in, in like the LGBTQ community, which is awesome. Like, I'm so happy about that. Like, I don't move in any social circles where even if there's not somebody that identifies as LBGTQ or whatever the case may be, and somebody says something snarky, that somebody wouldn't like pounce on that individual and be like, what are you, get out of here with that bigotry, you know? And so it, it's cool that it's happened in that community, but I, I'd like to see more of that happening across racial and cultural lines, you know, because I, I think that that's, a, that's still a little taboo. And maybe you can, I mean, I'm curious, like, have you been around a bunch of white people and something sort of snarky that makes you your skin kind of crawl as said about, you know, different race and you just kind of, you kind of just like slough it off, but you, you don't say anything, right? And, and, and that's what we've been hearing about this whole, you know, not saying something is still sort of a form of racism because you're essentially allowing it to happen. Uh, that's a kind of a question for you. I'm curious. So first, I'm going to go, I'm going to answer that question, but while yeah. I'm thinking of it, I, I've got to tell you that it's very interesting that you should bring up the same-sex partners issue as an example of a place where this dignity thing is just part of the culture. Because in that Hidden Brain podcast, this is a, a podcast about neuroscience and mm -hmm. social science, like why okay. we are, who we are. It's because of the way our brain is built. And it's funny that the, that the gist of that podcast is that one of the, the strangest things in culture has been the rapid change about in notions about same-sex marriage. There, there's not another movement in human history. That just took off. It just took off. Mm -hmm. You can't compare it. Like they even put out some forward-looking data about when elders are ever going to be respected or, you know, take every social problem. They can, they can project it out. But there was something about the, that movement, that same-sex marriage movement that just made this huge leap. Mm -hmm. And funny that you should point out that that culture is really, really tuned into, you know, putting people in check. Oh, yeah. When they are hurting the dignity of others. Oh, yeah. It's blasphemous if you hear something like that and you don't speak out about it. At least okay. in the group, in the, in, in the rooms that I move yes, in, at least. I, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Okay. I'm going to answer your question, but we've yeah. got to take a small break. Yeah. I, I love this conversation so much. I'm hoping we can get some real practical stuff out in the next few minutes too for people. Oh, yeah. Okay. For so sure. let's take a break because I want to tell people about this incredible thing that we've done at Ever Widening Circles in bringing together a conspiracy of goodness network. Now, this is an organization that's helping people interested in making the world a better place find each other. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I'll answer that question about what I've seen happen in my own circles. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world? And becoming a better version of yourself, both personally and professionally, every day? We have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all. People like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us. 
co-conspirators for goodness around the world, those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place, are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, so now we're back, and I have this moment of truth where I where <laughs> get real, me doc. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> okay, so in my professional life, I have to earn people's trust instantaneously. Remember, I'm a dentist, so thirty to forty people a day I meet, and they're afraid of me. Mm. They're afraid of what I have to say. They're afraid of what I might find. They, you know, this is a real like a primal human fear for everybody. That's just across the board. There's no culture or people or group or whatever that like the dentist. So I'm used to, and and became very good at around professional life, gaining people's trust and protecting their dignity and, and making sure I met people where they are. This is a fundamental sort of thing about protecting the humanity in others is being intuitive about where they are. So I read my group. I'm pretty much in any group because of what I do with Everwinding Circles and because I, I know so much about the world and all these odd, cool points of light everywhere in every corner of the world. I have to be really careful, and I've gotten good at it, about not sounding like the know-it-all, like the mm. Harmony Granger of every single topic. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> right? Good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, of course, I have been in situations where, especially in the last year, where people were going on about the burning down of neighborhoods. White folks that I'm with are going, how can they be burning down their neighborhoods or whatever part that the mass media was just showing us relentlessly? Because remember, that's a narrative. Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of white liberals were the ones burning down neighborhoods. But anyways, I digress. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, (laughs) right. Yes, so so you've pointed out exactly how I usually respond to something that I think is just plain wrong. <laughs> yeah, I usually don't say, "Now that's just plain wrong." <laughs> I usually don't. So I usually kind of read my audience and I say, "You know, what we're seeing relentlessly in mass media about that thing that that you just said, we have to be really careful because we are only seeing a slice of the reality there." There is a narrative that's being formed that they want to sell soap or beer or tampons or whatever. And they want to get us back tomorrow to hear more about the dramatic, crazy story that they started telling us today. And I I really go into the fact that we need more knowledge before we start making big, broad generalizations about others or circumstances or things. You know, I always, I think I defend my my position by kind of moving the conversation around to the people around me realizing how little we actually know of the facts. Yeah. Oh my God. A hundred percent. Which is why what you guys are doing here with the conspiracy of goodness is so needed. You know, mass media today is nothing but a self-perpetuating bubble yes. of whatever it is that they, you know, want you to cling on to as ironclad fact. And and that's kind of why I, I answered the last question the way that I did when I just, you know, I was gently trying to say, hey, like, folks, you know, put up a bit of like a screen in your mind when you're, when you're consuming things online or wherever. Like, just, 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 and when I say screen, like the practical takeaway here is, hmm, what is the other side of this story? Or, hmm, is there an agenda here? And I'm not saying you need to be like a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but for a second, we talked about it on the last time, you know, you and I spoke on a podcast. I think what we what we referenced it as was like being a responsible consumer mm. of information. And I, I think we've become desensitized to how to consume things responsibly. It's no mm-hmm. different than alcohol or prescription mm-hmm. pills. Like you need to consume those drugs responsibly or there are adverse effects that can happen. And we're seeing that mm-hmm. right now everywhere. Yeah. So a little thing that I've found and I'd love to get you to comment on is 
Uh, you mentioned the word agenda. And in my work, I, I, I get a, do a lot of public speaking now, and I talk to people about how mass media, particularly the internet, is built to capture and hold our attention. That's all that matters there. Yeah. Nothing else, just our attention. And the quickest way to do that is to just show us signs of danger and disorder over and over again. So, <laughs> I mean, that's it. That, so our our brain is built for that, our amygdala, and that's what we lead with. And when I come up to a situation like you described where somebody says something dreadful around the dinner table, a bunch of white, white folks, my friends and, or my family or what have you, back to I really sort of assess the landscape and see how I can be helpful. Huh. Okay, so I, I want to, what I want to do, because I'm kind of a Mrs. Bossy Pants, I, I, I am very outspoken in general, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just don't follow my knee-jerk reaction over a cliff because that might not be the most helpful thing to do in that situation. Like, how can I move down the ball down the field? And right. yes, and it always helps me, Carl, to think of what the other person's deeper truth is. Yes. Because... People might say things that sound so offensive, but their deeper truth may be that they're horribly afraid. Yeah, potentially. That they're, just, they're buying some news channel's line about the other hook, line, and sinker, and they are literally walking around waiting for the other foot to fall on their themselves or their children or their business or whatever. So if fear is part of the equation, that deeper truth, I can feel that in the other, then I would formulate what I say next a different way than if anger or you know just yes kind of- and that's incredibly important sorry to cut you off because mm-hmm. you know if they are driven by fear some sort of crazy compulsion of fear and what have you from wherever they're consuming their information and you are not a responsible instigator and in that's in that situation to actually question you know, where it is they're coming from and why it is they're coming from that perspective. And you just lash out at them. You're all, you're, you're kind of confirming whatever that bias is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and now they re- retreat into their shell, you know, saying, I knew it. Like, this is exactly, you know, what they want you to feel, Linda. You're buying into the liberal agenda, whatever, whatever they're going to say. I'm not a person like that. So <laughs> I'm trying to imagine know, what, but- what, what they would respond. But it's like a confirmation bias in like a roundabout ways is what I'm trying to say. And so back to the responsible consumer thing, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we need to be more, you said it perfectly early in the episode. What did you say? You said, you know, if we could all just kind of have each other's back. Yeah. I'm just paraphrasing. Yeah. Like in that situation where there's something potentially ignorant being said or whatever the case may be, you kind of need to be... It, a person that's willing to be stoic is what I practice. I practice stoicism, bite your tongue and, and throw up that little filter and, and, and challenge your, you know, your desire to react and ask them a question or maybe like ask yourself a question like, well, why is it they're saying this? And I think that gives grounds for the conversation to go further. Right. And, and right now it's kind of like a game of football. We're not getting enough yards to go further with one another, right? It's oh, like it's like it's like we're just coming on the field. It's like the most boring game ever that just sucks. It's like we're coming on the field like fourth and down, right? And then the other team gets the ball, the other side that we're supposed to hate. Fourth and down, like we're not getting enough yardage to extend the conversation to try to actually figure out what we're actually talking about. That is a great analogy, Carl. It, that is a great analogy. And, you know, we've got to look at the conversations we're having, the relationships we're building with the same kind of strategy. You know how, have you done any uh, listening to about the way a quarterback's brain works? I mean, they've, they, they've done some incredible neuroscience about how they have to think of about 12 different options all at the same time instantaneously and take all this information in and then probability and all the stuff. And, I guess that's what I, you've really, I might use that analogy from time to time. That's a really good, you know, we don't play football to be a, it's not a winner take all moment to moment. Well, here's the thing. I mean, people just aren't conditioned for it. A a quarterback is conditioned to, you know, constantly be scanning the field, you know, not just what the offense is doing He He or she already knows that, but like what the defense may do, right? Like, they're conditioned for that. And it goes back to how we started this conversation. Like this conversation is a great one. This is one big loop. I feel like, you know, it goes back to what we we're talking about earlier. Like you 
talked about the whole corporation thing and the homo- homogeneous environments. Like that's what most people are doing. Most people are not conditioned for heterogeneity. That's even a word. Just differences, right? So they're not actually like, 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 like their, their muscle is not built to like figure out how to navigate a room full of people that may have difference of opinion or different walks of lives, right? And so they don't even know how to navigate it. That's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it comes back to why I said what I said earlier, like, please just be humble enough, if anything, to stop, pause, and consider that, that you may not have it all figured out, you know? And, and maybe if you can accept that or come to a place where you're like, oh, maybe there's some validity there. Maybe that's like the little like nudge to start mm-hmm. to do some investigation on the topic that, you know, you may not know all that much about. And then that's how I think you start to kind of build that muscle for, you know, being a little bit more dynamic, I guess, in life. Well, I have a quote here for you, from you for, from one of the many things I read. But you said, you know, put yourself in uncomfortable positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> in my house, many, many years ago, I, I'm a risk taker. I, 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 I'm I'm kind of fearless <laughs> about trying new things. I always have been. And one day, one of my kids was being too cautious about some darn thing. Took red lipstick and on the bathroom mirror, this big mirror we have, I wrote the Eleanor Roosevelt, do something, quote, do something that scares you every day. Wow, and it's that. still That's there. So <laughs> We've cleaned around it for 15 years. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. Yes, That's so cool. Yes. Send me a photo of that later. I want to see that. I will. That's so cool. I will. I will. So this is the thing. I would imagine that someone like you has had a lot of occasions in life to, to, to reach, to put yourself in an in uncomfortable positions and that, and each time, you know, your comfort level goes here and you level up with each occasion. I heard you talk over and over again about this yeah. concept of leveling up. So talk about that in the scope of putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions so that we can grow. Yeah, well, let's take it from what we've kind of been talking about from like the context of like racial conversations, I guess it's kind of like a broad umbrella. Like if you're listening to this right now and you're very uncomfortable, Dr. Linda and I have kind of explained, you know, the concept of, of, of friction and how it can actually be our friend, right? So hopefully number one in your mind, you know, you can lash onto that more objectively and put the subjective feeling behind and be like, okay, this is a good indicator that there's something here that I should investigate, right? So that that's sort of like you're on the ground level. Now you're on the ground level. No, no, no. Let's say you're on the ground level coming into this podcast. You listen to the podcast. So now you're in level one. Like that, that's good action. You're listening to the conspiracy of goodness. So now you're in level one. And you've heard this conversation and you're like, okay, like I think there's something that I ought to investigate. I ought to like challenge myself. Anytime you come away with an idea that you ought to challenge yourself, you've began the level up process. So now you're, you know, on the escalator, taking the stairs up to level two. And you are maybe around the people that you're around, you know, and this make you a bad person, but something is said and it really bothers you. Maybe you don't say anything to that individual, but you come home and you express to a confidant, whether it be a lover or a spouse or whomever, that something was said that you really didn't like. And this is something you never have done before. That's a level up right there because essentially what's happening is your awareness, your, 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 your consciousness is evolving into a space that it's never really evolved to before. You know, so if that's you right now, I want you to give yourself a pat on the back because that's huge, right? Like we're making small gains here. Life is, a, <laughs> is, in my opinion, a game of small gains, not massive leaps, right? Back to the football analogy. And so... At this point in time, you're having some conversations, you've had some internal dialogue, and you're looking to potentially interact with somebody that's different from you, right? Maybe a black person or an Asian person or whatever. And the conversation's surface level. You're a friendly individual, right? But inevitably, it comes to a place of, you know, either a, a cultural a point of topic that you don't really know that much about or something race-related that you're afraid to speak on because you may say the wrong thing and you're sort of you know you're 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 posed with a decision there's a fork in the road right do you do you stay left which is probably you know the path of least resistance and skirt around it or do you try to lean right 
which would be level three potentially, and dare to ask a question, <laughs> even if it may make you feel foolish in the moment. Like, boom, level three, hopefully you choose right, right? And you ask that question. Hey, Dr. Linda, you know, tell me about a time growing up as a little white girl in this, you know, little white community in Vermont where you saw injustice. And how did it make you feel? How did you react to that? Like, whoa, could you imagine what that person may say to you and and how the conversation can sort of grow and evolve from there as a result of you being willing enough, courageous enough, daring enough to actually ask that's the sequence of leveling up. So, I mean, that's kind of an illustration I hope the audience can kind of identify with and maybe even like see elements of that, that, that scale I just kind of, you know, laid out in, in parts of their life, right? Where they've either gone right or left or whatever, you know? So hopefully that, that helps some people. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we talk about at Everwinding Circles in the Conspiracy of Goodness Network is this yeah. change contempt curiosity. Mm-hmm. This oh, I love that. Secret. The, if you're walking around with contempt by about the other, who whatever their differences are than yours, you know, if you can change it to curiosity, which is what you just said, ask mm-hmm. a question you don't, you truly don't know the answer to. Yeah. There is yeah. telling where you are going to end up. Yeah. And then, you know, it goes both ways. So uh, the caveat is the individual, probably, you know, in my example, the minority, whoever that is, the, the person of color, that individual, you know, we got to level up too, right? I, I kind of talked about that. And it's tough because we have been, you know, on the opposive side, like kind of, you know, seeing all these traumatic things happening to people that look like us. But I think at some point we're also posed with a choice to level up, right? Where we can say, all right, you know what, that person can go kick rocks. I'm not going to entertain this conversation. It's not on me to have this discussion that can ultimately bring about some sort of, you know, new sense of awareness. Or, you know what, this really is challenging. People that look like you have hurt people that look like me for so long. But you know what, I'm going to choose to go with my gut in this moment. And I'm going to say, you know what, I feel like you're a good person. I'm getting a good vibe from you. I'm going to have the conversation with you. You know, I'm going to answer your question. Yeah, I may feel like it's not the onus on me to have to educate you or whatever the case may be. But right now, I'm a representative for my people. You're a representative for your people. We're all people. And we now have an opportunity to like go further and have a conversation to where we can really see, oh my God, we maybe have some things in common, right? And and we can kind of go beyond the the, the facade of race. Or, or whatever is keeping us held back from going further with each other. So no different than dating. Just try to get to know people and, you know, go slowly and and and, and just dare to be courageous. Just, just, just dare. Lean into it. So that's what I want people to take away from today's conversation. Oh, this is so yeah. great. We all need to level up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we can all do that. That is the real, yeah. that's the real, yeah. you know, if we're all trying if we all have the good intention, the rigorous intention mm-hmm. to to level up, we, we can get to new places. We've we really can. We really We've can. We, we won't be in the basement for much longer if we can. Right, right. So. Oh, Carl, thanks so much. You know, <laughs> I didn't get to very many things on the two pages of notes I had, so we'll have to have an We'll do a third one. <laughs> Just bring me back once a month. <laughs> since you're the, since it's your company that produces this podcast. We can meet all the we want. <laughs> all the time we want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I got to finish out this episode by asking you, you know, I ask every person, where do you want people to connect with you? because and and people can find these places in the show notes but where's the best way to connect with your work yeah i've been working on a ton of content and it's under wraps it's getting ready to start dripping out here in the next few weeks so instagram be very active place at carl with the k K k-a-r-l dot sona s-o-n-a i'm coming out with some fire folks A, a lot of what we're talking about will be you know sort of discussing the content the new series of content i've been working on for the last handful of months. So I'm really excited about that. And at my website, carlsona.com as well too. Okay. Well, Carl, this has been a delightful, delightful conversation. We're going to continue it because I have so many things to ask you about. Yeah. Choices and trust and legacy. and okay. Yeah. Please. <laughs> I, I love talking to you. Thank you for having me on again. It was so much fun. Okay. I'm going to let you go and then we'll finish up.
Okay. Take care. Okay. So we're, we've just had the most amazing conversation with a wonderful thought leader, Carl Sona. If you found this interesting, go back to, I think it's December 10th, 2020 was the last time I talked to Carl and we had another enlightening conversation there and I can really feel an episode number three coming on. So thank you so much. Anything that we mentioned, any books or references, you'll find in the great show notes. And it is Carl's company, that the Streamline podcast company that does produce this podcast. So you'll find that information there too. Carl's a great thought leader. The number one thing you can do to help the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast is to go rate and review it over where you listen to your podcast. We are currently in the top 25% of podcasts in the world. And we have this goal of getting in the top 1% in the coming year because we're trying so hard to talk about the kind of things that people need to thrive in the coming era that we're calling the gratitude economy. We think that there is a long history, probably more than a half century, of people making noise, getting our attention, calling us to not be our best selves. So we're calling the closing era, the attention economy, and the opening of a new era, the gratitude economy. And there you're going to find countless thought leaders like Carl, who are finding a way to do good business while doing good in the world. So help us out over there and rate and review this podcast, and we will get the word out more and more. And also, thank you to our affiliate partners for proving it is still an amazing world. You can find information about today's featured partners in the show notes as well, or by visiting everwideningcircles.com backslash partners. Remember to check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Network that we've mentioned. And as always, the Ever Widening Circles app is like having the antidote to the daily news in the palm of your hand. If you want to work out your mind and your heart, dive into one Ever Widening Circles article a day and you will start to see a world of possibility coming up all around you. I hope the connections to goodness and progress that we talked to you about today will carry you through the week and you'll start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Have a great day.